Okay, we got uh, three more Bible studies. This one and two more for the year. And then it will be in the holiday season. will be uh, the week of Thanksgiving. And we'll have a communion service uh, that Tuesday before Thanksgiving here in place of that. After that, it's uh, tree trimming night and, and caroling uh, around the shut-ins on Tuesday nights. And then we take a break till the end of the season. So uh, there'll be the, this one and two more. And I decided we were just went through the book of Micah, which is a minor prophet. And everybody was so familiar with it. I said, well, we ought to, we ought to do another one. So we're going to do a couple, three of these minor prophets over the next three weeks. There's some interesting things to be found. And I'm lo- looking tonight at the book of Amos. Amos is for our study tonight. We're going to highlight the book and get a look at it (coughs) and see what it's got to say to us. This is one of my favorite little books, and I'll I'll tell you why. Um, There are writers in the Bible like Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the great poets of all times. There's nobody quite like him. If it wasn't for Isaiah, you may have never heard of uh, Martin Luther King. Because his most famous uh, uh, speech was out of Isaiah. He started with Isaiah. I have a dream. And then he quotes Isaiah. And that's because Isaiah knew how to say it. He really was an expert. And you look in the New Testament, Apostle Paul, he's the great big brain of the Bible. He's amazing, one of the most intelligent people of all times. And so we say, well, how are we going to fit into that crew? (laughs) Any big, huge brains here? Well, probably not, all right? We're just regular people. Any master poets here? No, no, we're just regular, ordinary people. So then we come to this book, Amos, who gives us hope. We have a little hope. And we look at the first verse, chapter 1, the first verse. The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel, days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And so he is a herdsman. He's a shepherd, that is, and uh, takes care of animals. Well, we've got some pretty impressive people who took care of animals. Uh, Moses. Moses took care of animals in the Bible. He was also educated in all the ways of the Egyptians, which is the best education probably in the history of the world. Okay, (laughs) Moses was a pretty smart fella. He was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd, happened to be a probably multimillionaire. Okay, Uh, David was a shepherd, a master musician. Then we come to Amos. He's a shepherd. Well, what's he all about? Is he wealthy? No. Is he a musician? No. What is he? Well, over in chapter 7, we're going to be starting there in chapter 7, he tells us what he is. All right? In chapter 7, in verse 14, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, 
neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And so he made his living watching sheep and he gathered sycamore, that is wild figs. So he goes out, wanders around the wilderness, finds an old fig tree, plucks the figs off and uh, passes them out, sells them I suppose to live. He's not, he's as plain and ordinary as you can get. You can't get anybody more down to earth than Amos. He's a farm boy. Well, he is a farm boy scratching out a living, trying to survive. And he says in particular, I was not a prophet or a prophet's son. In Israel at that time, there were schools for prophets. Elijah founded these schools. And Elisha was a great teacher in those schools. And they would travel from city to city and there'd be a little group of people almost like a church. People who would sit there and learn from these guys and be educated and they were the schools of the prophets. Amos said, I didn't go to no school. <laughs> I ain't been to school, he says. I'm just a regular old guy out keeping sheep and to survive I collect, picked wild fruit. Now if you've ever picked wild fruit, all right, you, you used to going down to Nesbitt's orchards and picking all kinds of fruit, right? Big old apples like that. Well, you get wild ones that ain't like that, is it? Pick wild grapes. People say, I'm going to pick some grapes. Have at it, man. Go ahead. They're growing all over out there. Uh, little tiny things that big, usually kind of bitter. All right. And uh, wild fruit is a, <laughs> is a tough way to make a living. But here's a guy. He's... Just a plain, ordinary guy. And God said, I like the way you think. I like the way you think. And I always look for people who think differently because it helps you. All right? We all need to think a little differently. And my favorite authors are the ones that are a little off. Say, they don't think like everybody else. Watchman Nee. Uh, it was a Chinese guy who wrote a lot of books, and you read them, and nobody else thinks like that. He's Chinese, okay? He thinks different. And I have a Norwegian author that I read. He thinks different than other people. Comes from a different society, different way of thinking. And there are preachers you can listen to, and you almost kind of know what they're going to say. Because they have a certain way that they speak. And once in a while you run into somebody, they don't talk like anybody else. All right? And that's what are good. And God knows that. And he picked this guy, Amos, because he could talk to him in different ways. And uh, he has different responses. Some of the things he says are very unique. And so we're going to look at beginning in chapter 7. We have done these before. has been quite a while, I think, since we've done them. But uh, the (coughs) visions, and God gave Amos visions, all right? Visions, and he gives him actually five visions. Now, let's take a look back in chapter 1, get an idea what this fella is like. And here's where he is. Like I said, he's, he's different. He thinks different uh, than most people do. 
If we look at verse 6, chapter 1, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. That's a different way of speaking, but you and I probably speak more like that than most people, all right? Than fancy people. Somebody says, you, have you ever done that? Yeah, two, three times. Or four. Right? You say, well, how have you uh, I've done it a hundred times? Two, three times? People say to me, how many marriages have you done? Ah, two, three, four. You know, done a lot over 35 years. A lot of them, okay? They say, how many? Eh, three or four, maybe four. You know, lots of them, all right? And so that's the way he talks. He says, well, how many sins did they do? Eh, three, maybe four. <laughs> that means a lot. So it means. means that they've done a lot. If he says three, well, four, three or four. And that's what he says all down through here. Verse 9, thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Tyrus and for four. All right. Same kind of way of speaking. And he'll do it all the way through. Verse 13, thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of the children of Ammon and for four. All right. He's got that way of speaking that's kind of down home, and you know what he's trying to say. He's saying there's a lot of sin. Three or four? Yeah, I can mention four. No problem, all right? And he's talking about the nations that are all around Israel. And if we have a map of Israel, uh, we know the southern part is the kingdom of Judah. Northern part is the kingdom of Israel at that time. And down underneath them is Moab and Ammon is down here. And over here are the Philistines and so forth. These little nations all around Israel. And he's going to give a judgment against all these little nations. And then he's going to give a judgment against Judah. And then he's going to give a judgment against Israel. He's before Micah. Says he's in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. So he's a little earlier than most of the prophets. Uh, and he starts in on the surrounding nations. And uh, then he'll get over to the nation, the northern kingdom of Israel. And he's a, a prophet up there in Israel. And uh, you'll see how they treat him. They don't like him. They want him out. Get this guy away from us, this Amos, the prophet. Who does he think he is? We'll toss him out. All right, and so <laughs> we'll see uh, some of the visions that he has. And they're different visions. Never seen anything like it. You can't find anything else anywhere like it because God can talk to him differently than he talks to most people because he's just a good old boy. He's a farm boy, all right? He said, I can just show him a picture, and he gets it, and he can communicate what I'm saying. All right, chapter 7, we're going to start. He's uh, giving, he has talked about all the surrounding nations and everybody around, and now he's bringing his focus down to the northern kingdom of Israel. All right, now let's get it in our mind what's going on there. Uh, there was a division in the kingdom. It was all one nation under David and Solomon. And then it broke in half. And the northern kingdom of Israel was under a man named 
Jeroboam. He rebelled against Rehoboam uh, down in the south, who was Solomon's son. And they took ten king, ten tribes with him up there in the north and said, we're going to have our own kingdom up here uh, because you guys raised the taxes. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar, right? So some things never change, right? Rehoboam uh, took over as king, and they said, you got to lower the taxes. It's getting too hard for us. And he asked the old men, he said, what do you think? Yeah, I think you ought to lower the taxes. And he asked the young men, they said, let them have it. Raise them taxes. So he went back and he said, I'm raising the taxes. And they said, see ya. And they headed north and became the northern kingdom of Israel where it split. Now, Jeroboam is an evil man. Down here in the southern kingdom of Judah is the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has the temple. And the Jews have been taught when you worship, you go to the temple. You're expected to go there three times a year. You have to go there three times a year, but you can go more. But when you want to sacrifice and when you want to worship God, when you want to do that, you're going to go down and do it in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, this northern kingdom is broken off. And he, old Jeroboam says, You know, if I go letting them go down there, they might not come home. They might think, What do we got up here? So I'm going to fix it. So I got something up here that will work. So in the southern part down here and in the northern part up there, Dan is a city up there, and Bethel is a city down here. He, he builds two golden calves. He makes these big golden calves, and he puts one in Bethel and one in Dan. And he said, now look, folks, I want to help you. I'm here for you. You don't have to go way down to Jerusalem just to worship. We're going to make it handy for you. So instead of traveling down through the mountains and everything, just go to Bethel if you're living in the south. And I'll put one way up north here in Dan. And if you live up north, you just go to that one. So I'm going to make it very convenient and for you. No big travel days. You can go whenever you want. And you can worship at my golden calves. Where did those ideas come from? Well, when it came out of Egypt, came out of Egypt, and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to talk to God. And the people say, oh, I'm Moses dead. He's never coming back. We need to make a God of our own. And so they made a God was a golden calf. All right, it was a golden calf. And it was an idea that came out of Egypt all the way up through, if you look at the gods of Egypt, you always find the big bull with the horns. Big long horns, right? That was one of their favorites, right? And so uh, this concept of a golden calf comes out of Egypt, and he puts one here and there. He said, we had one before, I'll make a couple more. We want to make it easy on you. And so we're going to make it. And so we have a warning right away 
uh, if anybody says, I want to make uh, your religion very convenient, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a warning. Somebody says, we're going to make it convenient for you. Don't listen to them. And believe me, the church has been making it convenient for people all along. Trying to make it convenient. Right? When Jesus died on the cross, it was not convenient. There was nothing convenient about him. And if you're going to serve him and follow him, it's not going to be out of convenience. All right? It's going to be real live. Let's do it. All right? And somebody says, we can just make it easy for you. It's not the right way, all right? And it is never the way to look for. And when people throw communion on the end of five minutes on the end of their service, it's nothing but a convenience. As far as I'm concerned, it's nothing but a convenience. And that's why I don't do it that way. We're going to do it. We're going to do it where we're going to gather together, and that's what we do. We don't make it convenient. Certainly not communion. Of all things, we're going to remember the death of Christ. Yeah, we got five minutes. Stick it in. No, no, no. God's not like that. And so that's what they did way back. They used convenience to hook these people and to get them to stay out of Jerusalem where the place was for true worship. And so this northern kingdom... Uh, swallowed it whole, hook, line, and sinker, and they worshiped at Bethel mostly, but also up in Dan. Now, Amos has come along. It's been a a few years since they got started. And there's a king. The first king was Jeroboam, and they've had a lot of bad ones up through now. And then there's another one now, who is also Jeroboam II, Jeroboam number two. He's the king now in Israel. And if you read in the Bible about Jeroboam II, he is a very successful king. He's got things running pretty smooth. Got peace. He's got money. They're making money. And they kind of think, we got it all together. (laughs) This guy's great. He's a wonderful king. And then along comes this farm boy who watches sheep and picks wild figs. He said, no, no, you don't. I'll tell you what I saw. In chapter 7, he's talking to these people up here, in particular the rulers, as we'll see, and he's telling them, hey, Here's what I saw. Okay, so let's see what he did see. These kind of unusual things, and they're things that a farmer, uh, a homeboy, natural kind of guy would see. Chapter 7 of Amos, verse 1. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me the first vision. Behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land. And I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. And the Lord repented this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. And so the first vision he has is grasshopper. (laughs) And God said, I got a vision for you. There's a grasshopper. 
<laughs> I said, that's a great vision. It is a great vision, particularly because the way he saw it, right? So he says, I saw these grasshoppers, but they came at the second mowing. At second mowing. So in Israel, uh, it's not like in America, okay? We do have second cutting in America. People with bale hay know that there's a first cutting and a second cutting, sometimes a third. In Israel, there uh, is a, like a spring season, and then there's a fall season, and you can plant twice in a year. All right, and so the first season, he says, we harvested and we got all the hay we needed. And then uh, in the second season, where it's not as hardy a growth, just when those grass begin to sprout, uh, God made grasshoppers. He's going to send them in. They're going to eat all the thing, and there's going to be famine in the land because God made these grasshoppers to come. And he says, God, please, let's don't do that. Because there's not many of us that believe. And if we all go down into famine, then how are we ever going to survive? And so God showed him the grass. See, even a grasshopper is an army to God. Okay, get it? God can use anything he wants. He can use a grasshopper. I can destroy the nation with grasshoppers. <laughs> so you, who are you messing with? He could destroy the place with grass. That's what he did in Egypt. He sent locusts in, and they ate, it said, every green thing in the whole country. So there's no food anywhere. Right? That's what God said. I saw a vision. Please, God, not that. Okay, all right. So let's look at the next vision, verse 4. Thus saith the Lord God, he showed unto me, Behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. And it devoured the great deep, indeed eat up a part. All right, so he saw the second vision, he sees a fire coming. And this is not any ordinary fire. It sucks up the sea, sucks up part of the sea. And it's a very consuming fire, the kind of fire that God can make. We remember Elijah in his sacrifice. They're trying to call down fire from heaven, the prophets of Baal. They're jumping and cutting themselves, asking for fire from heaven. Now, they didn't get it. Elijah says, please, God, but wait a minute. Before you do, get some water. Pour it on the sacrifice. Soak it. Get some more. Pour it on. Let's get some more. All right. So he gets to keep pouring water on. Now the wood is soaking wet. Did you ever try to kindle soaking wet wood? All right. And there's a ditch they dug around it. It's full of water. And God, he said, okay, we're ready. <laughs> and down comes a fire. The water is just whoosh, gone because the fire is so hot. Whoosh, the water is gone and the stones melted. That's hot fire. Okay, stone melt, that's hot fire. And uh, so God has his ability, and, he, and uh, Amos sees this fire coming. Now, what does it mean? Does it mean actual fire? Could be. 
could be God had the ability to do it, or God could have sent in an invading army, burned the city down. Not sure exactly what he means here, but he said, wow, that looks bad. That's worse than grasshoppers. So, verse 5, Then I said, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. So, they could have famine, or they could have probably war and destruction on the nation. And uh, Amos says, please, please don't. Please don't. Boy, we need people like Amos, right? I'm going to pray to God and say, help, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We know we're in trouble, so help us, Lord. All right, so God has shown them some possibilities. Now he's going to show them what it's all about. Here's what God is going to do. All right, verse number 7. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. And he said, Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people of Israel, and I will not pass, again pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate. Sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. All right. So, he sees a vision of a wall. And uh, there's a wall there, and God is standing on the wall. And he's holding a plumb line, which is something that people use, particularly like a mason will use if he's going to build a wall. And he sets up a plumb line, and it's a string. Hangs down exactly straight, and when you're building your wall, you go right to the string, and that keeps you straight. And you make sure you don't push the string out of line, go right to the string, and keep following up. And when you're done, your wall is straight. And so God's standing on a wall, built with a plumb line. So he's on a straight wall, a good, well built wall, and he's holding out the plumb line. And he said, What am I doing? Well, there's the line. There's what you must follow. So the plumb line equals a standard. He's got this plumb line, and it's a standard. God has a standard. And he says, when you build, I want you to build by my standard. I got a standard. When you build, what are you going to build? Well, we're going to build a church, right? We're going to build a church. And get together, join together, worshiping, doing the will of God. We're going to build a church. And God's got a plumb line. And make sure when you're building a church, you build it according to what my standard is. There it is. Hanging it right there for you. Build according to this standard. So that's what we're supposed to do with church. That's what you're supposed to do with your family. Your family is to be built according to a plumb line. God's got a line for families. You can search through the Bible. You'll find it here, there, and everywhere. God gives instructions about family. God gives instructions about your life, your own personal life. You're building it. Building it to do what? 
Well, we hope we're going to build it to God's standard. God has a standard. There's a plumb line. All right. You build according to the standard. And so in, in Israel, how's that standard coming? <laughs> they can care less about that line. They got golden calves here. You just come on down. Do it. Don't worry about God's standard. We can do it our way, and we're going to do it this way. And so he says, God came in with a plumb line, and he's holding it up against your uh, golden calf and what you're doing over there. And he's seeing, yeah, it's all a mess. The only, the only way to save it, you can't save it. You built it all wrong, we've got to tear it down. All right, and so let's see what it says, verse 10. And Uzziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam the king of Israel, saying, Amos conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. Amos is a, a spy, a cheater. The land is not able to bear all his words. We can't stand listening to this farm boy. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said to Amos, O thou seer, you say you see things, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. Said, go, go down to Judah, down there where uh, Jerusalem is. Get out of our country. We don't want you here. We don't want to hear what you got to say. Verse 13, but prophesy not again more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel. It is the king's court. Exactly. Exactly. It's the king's chapel. Or it's the king's sanctuary. This belongs to Jeroboam. God's got nothing to do with it. You go worship there. Who say who owns this? King Jeroboam. Go to worship in Jerusalem. Who owns oh God? This is God's house. No, up here it's not. It's somebody else's house. You know, just don't worship there. Verse 14, then answered Amos, said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. The Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. All right. Now, therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel. Drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, saith the Lord, thy wife shall be a harlot in the city. Thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword. Thy land shall be divided by line. Thou shalt die in a polluted land. Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. Right. This is what's going to happen to you guys. God held up the standard and you weren't even close. What you built was entirely of your own construction, your own opinion. And that's going to be true of our, can be true of a church, can be true of our families, can be true of our lives. We didn't follow the standard. We didn't follow the plumb line. We just built it the way we thought we wanted it. And it's going to be destroyed. And so that's what he says. You're going to go captive. Your wife will be nothing but a prostitute in the city. And your families will all die. That's what's going to happen to you. And they said, get out of town. We don't want to hear this farm boy giving us all this bad news. 
said, wait a minute, here's my next one. Vision 4, all right, vision 4, chapter 8. Thus saith the Lord God, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he talks to Amos. He said, Amos, what seest thou? I said, a basket of summer fruit. <laughs> I like, like, what do you see? I see a guy on a wall with a plumb line. What do you see now? I see a basket. It's got fruit in it. Yeah. That's right. You got it. <laughs> very, very plain, but down to earth. And said the Lord unto me, the end is come of my people of Israel. I will not pass again by them anymore. Now, that's what he said back in verse 7, right? We saw the exact same words in verse 8. The Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? I said, a plumb line. The Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line midst of my people. I will not again pass by them anymore. In verse 2 and 8, and then said to me, the end is come of my people. I will not pass by them anymore. All right, so he sees a basket. And uh, the basket has got uh, fruit in it. But very important, it's got summer fruit. Summer fruit. It's not got apples in it. No apples in it. It's fall fruit. It's got summer fruit. Strawberries. I like strawberries. Raspberries, right? The best flavor God made is a raspberry. I love these fruits. And my wife buys them these little plastic things. And so I got to eat them right away. Because if you leave the strawberries for a week, yeah. I used to know a guy, and he said, well, those are now jamberries. I said, they're not jamberries, they're rotten. They're not for making jam, they're rotten. All right? It doesn't take long. And so here's this basket, and, and Amos understands. There's a basket, and it's got summer fruit in it. It's got strawberries and raspberries and things that grow in the summer and if you let them sit just a little while they're gone and so there is a fast ripening it's fast and it ripens quickly I think of his visions this one is the most thought provoking that he has I like seeing God with a standard Right? Plumb line. There. And you build, and there's the line. You make a straight line, build a good wall, make your life. You got foundations in your life? What are they? You build a good foundation, and you build on that foundation. Good foundation is the Word of God. Good foundation is a church where they preach the Word of God. Those are the foundations we need in our life. And we're going to build on those foundations. So we're going to do something in that church. We're going to do the will of God. We're going to participate. And we're going to build on those foundations. Build a life that's according to God's standard. Now, he says, here's some fruit. And when you look at that fruit in that basket, you know one thing. i got to hurry. i got time. I got time to wait. I got to hurry. And that's what God's saying. Uh, there's a ripening. 
That is, things are getting ripe quickly, and you have to act before it goes by the time. And that's what Amos is teaching us uh, with his visions, or God's teaching Amos, really, is what it is, with his visions. You have the opportunity. Uh, We really have to think about this basket of fruit because I believe that the Bible is saying to us sometimes, this is your moment. You have a moment. There's a day that comes, the fruit's getting ripe, and you got to get it while you can. Grab it. Eat that, eat them raspberries while they're still good, before they turn into a little dried up little, yeah. you got a moment in time, you have a time that's quickly going by for you to respond to God. And so he shows the nation of Israel there's a basket of summer fruit. How long is that going to last? A couple of days? Your time is short. Your opportunity is here. And now do it. And I think that a lot of times with you and I, when we think about things, we kind of got our own schedule. And God comes. And in Isaiah chapter 55, just look over there for a minute. Isaiah chapter 55, back a few books. Isaiah 55, there's a statement that God makes here. And it bears thought very much so for you and I. Uh, and it's the same thought of basket of summer fruit. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon so here's a God said, here's an opportunity. I will abundantly pardon. I'll forgive everything about you, but you gotta call on me while I'm near. And you gotta seek me when I can be found. So you say, well, you mean there's certain times? Yeah, I honestly mean there are certain times when you need to respond to God and not wait. Call on him while he's near. And that's a very uh, important concept, and that's what the basket of summer fruit is about. You got a short time. You can't dilly dally around and say, "Well, I don't know if I'm going to do this or not. I have this. I'm going to let it sit a little while." Get, no, get it done. Get it done. Call upon him while he is near. There are times when God draws near to us, and don't ask me to explain that because all I know is it's true. I can't tell you why it is. I can't tell you why God suddenly comes and you feel a a pressure almost in your heart, on your soul, and God's saying, hey, hey, I'm right here, right now. Let's do this. 
the fruit is gonna rot. And if you wanna get this done, let's do it now. And I think that's very much the case and people linger and linger and what happens? The feeling goes away. The consciousness is seared over and we don't feel the same way we did before. And so God knows what we're like. And so he tells us, look, you know, there's a day when I'm going to call on you. I'm going to say to you, are you going to do this? And it's the fruit that's only going to last a couple of days. And then your opportunity has gone by. And it's a sad thing when people come right up to that point. You know, as a pastor, I've seen it over and over and over. Come right to that point and just take one more step. No. No. I've seen it in baptism. I can't tell you how many times. People come to me and say, I want to be baptized, but uh, maybe not. Not now. Not now. Some of them are dead. They never did get baptized. Uh, it's become, and God does that in our lives. He got something he wants you to do, and he comes to a point, and you feel it in your heart, and he says, Today, we need to do this. Come on. And he said, oh, oh, wait a minute. And he come up against it again. It'll come. God will do it again. And there's moments when God is near. And there's moments when you can feel the presence of God right there with you. That's the time to act. He's there. It's the summer fruit. And so this is a great vision, a basket of summer fruit. It's got a lot to do with uh, how God responds to you and me. It's a great vision that Amos tells us of. Now, here's what happens um, when you don't. And, that, and that's, he goes on to say, hey, this is summer fruit and you really need to get your act together. All right, and if you don't, something's going to happen. Verse 11, down in chapter 7. Verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. That's the danger. That's the danger. All right. He says, I've showed you a summer fruit and I told you, you gotta, you gotta act quickly. You gotta respond to God. He's near now to you. Please respond. And he said, no. Our, our country's going well. And that's what Jeroboam too would have said. Our country's going better now than it has since it was founded. I got everything under control. I don't need to do anything now. Just leave it. And we don't need this farm boy telling us what to do. All right? And here's what happens to the people who say, eh, I'm not worried about that fruit. The fruit is rotten now. And what happens, he says, there's a famine. And it's not a famine of food or thirst for water. He says, but you can't hear the words of God. God stopped talking. Verse 12, they shall wander from sea to sea, from north even to the east. Shall run 
to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, and the master of Beersheba liveth. Even they shall fall and never rise up again. He said, uh, Amos was talking to them, and they said, Get out of the country. We're not listening to you. He said, There's going to come a time because you let the summer fruit rot. You didn't respond like you should have. There's going to come a time uh, when... You're going to want to know what God said, and you can't find anybody to tell you. And the history of the Bible is full of those famines of the Word of God. There's four or five places where it specifically says there was a famine when you come up to Eli. And, the bir- and Samuel being born, up till then there's a famine of the Word of God, the Bible says. Nobody's talking God's not speaking through anybody to anybody. Nobody's got God's word. And it happens over and over. There's 400 years of silence from the end of the Old Testament to Matthew chapter 1. 400 years of silence. Why? Because God didn't say anything for 400 years. Why? Because you wouldn't listen to him. You wouldn't respond to him when he asked you to, and you let the summer fruit rot in the basket, and now you say, where's God? Where's God? I can't hear him, because he's not talking to you. And for 400 years of silence, Old Testament ended, New Testament began, and finally somebody heard a voice. Who is it? Mary. Mary. You're going to have a baby. Boy, that was a happy voice to hear, huh? God finally spoke, spoke to Elizabeth. You're going to have a son. He's going to introduce the world to Messiah. They've been waiting for that voice to be heard. And so we come to the possibility that if God said, here's the fruit. Notice it's strawberries and raspberries. Are you going to eat it now or not? Are you going to wait? Are you going to go buy it? Let it rot. It's a great vision that he has. And he says that the, the reason you let it go by, which they did, and you let it rot because you figured you had it all set. You were all set. And uh, now there's a famine of God's word. I think in a lot of today's world, there's a famine of God's word. Now, there are wonderful preachers out there that I highly respect. Uh, and there's a lot of them. All they want to talk about is call me and I'll get you money. They come right out and say it. Here's miracle water. Send it and you'll get money. What do you think God thinks of that? I wouldn't want to be in their shoes someday. Here's, here you come and, and when you come here you'll be wealthy. Don't ever, ever fall. That's a famine of God's word in a lot of the church today. And it's a dangerous thing. Right? So uh, it's because there was a moment. And in our crises in life there comes a moment and God says there's a basket. Are you going to do it now or not? Are you going to let it rot? It's a pretty thought provoking vision that old Amos has. This old farm boy has got a pretty good one. Now, 
This one will make your hair stand on that, all right? Number five, vision number five, chapter nine. I saw the Lord standing upon an altar. Now this one he doesn't say, you see what? Doesn't say Amos, you see that? He doesn't say that. Because Amos got it first time, all right? His little eyes go popping open. I saw the Lord standing on the altar. And he said, smite the lentil of the door that the post may shake. Cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away. He that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, that's my hand shall take them. Though they climb into heaven, that's I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel. Carmel was a big mountain near the sea. And they think there's as many as a thousand caves in Mount Carmel. They go up there and hide. I will search and take them out thence, and though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, hence I will command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence I will command the sword, and it shall slay them. I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Well, you don't have to ask Amos, because he knows what that one's about. God, this time, is standing on the altar. Now, it might be this altar in Bethel. Some people think there's an altar in Bethel. And you got your golden calf over here, and then you got an altar. He goes sacrifice to the golden calf, and this time the Lord is standing on the altar. He said, this is it. I will not allow you to sacrifice again. I prohibit sacrifice. You went too far. I gave you a standard and asked you to keep the standard. You didn't keep the standard. And I gave you a warning, a basket of summer fruit. I said, the day is coming when it's going to be too late for you to act. But you just did it anyway. And now I see the Lord standing on an altar and he says, smite the door. All right, so we're going to smash that door, strike it right through the top. And strike it on the side, and the wall caves in. Where are we going? Going out that door. No, he just smashed the doorways. I don't want anybody escaping. I said you had an opportunity, and you threw it out. So there's no escape. You can't sacrifice because I'm not going to accept it. I'm going to stand on his altar and prohibit you sacrificing. And then I'm going to smash the doorways so you can't get out. This is it. It's over. It's finished. It's all done. And that's God who said finally, you think you get away from me? You think you could do what you want? You think it'd go on forever? The fruit got rotten and I'm smashing the doorway so you can't escape. And I'm stopping the sacrifice. It's over. You're going to be destroyed. All right? Verse 5, And the Lord God of hosts is he that touches the land, shall melt, and all that dwell in shall mourn, shall rise up holy like a flood. They shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. So it's like that Egyptian army ran into the Red Sea, and they were drowned. He said, you're not going to escape. Nobody escapes. All right? 
nobody gets by. He says, they're going to dig down into the earth, let them dig all the way to hell. I'll reach down there and pull them out. They think they get a ladder and they climb up to heaven, I'll pull them down out of there. They will not get away. I will not allow it. So Amos says, I don't know what to tell you. God gave you a standard and you refused to build by it. And so God gave you a limit on time and said, call upon me. You've got a few days. Call on me while you can. And you didn't. And so now he's done with it. He's done with it. Destruction comes. And of course, you know what happened. That kingdom of Israel uh, was taken by the northern kingdom of Assyria. Assyria was up here, up here farther, and they invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, took it out, wiped it out, nothing left, and the, those ten tribes disappeared in history. We do see a couple cases where those tribes apparently kept a little record so they knew who they were, but majority of those tribes disappeared. They're gone, all right? And God said, you can't hide. No place you can go. I'm wiping you out. It's finished. God prohibits sacrifice. What is he saying? He said, you went too far. You went too far. So it's a pretty serious thing. All right, now, uh, five visions. Grasshoppers, please, God, not that. Fire, no, please, God, not that. Okay, well, here's what I got. Here's how I do it. I got a standard. And I give you a time limit. And I ask you to respond when I'm near to you, when I'm calling on you. And if you don't, then it's over. There's no escape anymore. And God prohibits sacrifice. That's a tragic moment. You say, doesn't God always forgive us? Yeah, unless you don't want it. There's times when people don't want it. This country is full of people who don't want it. Last thing they want is God. Last thing they want to do is repent. You know, they're running on uh, platforms as candidates that we want to be able to kill babies whenever we feel like it. That's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. Right? But Say, well, this Amos, he kind of got me a little depressed there. No, he doesn't. Let's go look. Verse 11, chapter 9. In that day I'll raise up a tabernacle of David that is fallen, close up the breaches thereof, raise up his ruins, and build it as in the days of old. They shall possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that does this. He says, I'm going to build up something new. Tabernacle of David, which was, see, David never had a temple. David didn't build a temple, but he worshiped God in spirit and in truth. And he's talking about the church. And what's going to happen to the church? He said, they're going to reach into the heathen world. They're going to get everybody they can get, anybody called by my name. Talking about us. 
the church is going to come back. They're going to survive. Behold, the days come, and say, Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. That's a wonderful verse. Farm boy understands that. You and I say, well, what's he talking about? Well, here's what he's talking about. They're planting seed in this row, but right here is a crop growing that you can harvest. They're planting and harvesting at the same time. And it's so productive. It's so productive that he says, wherever we plant, there's something to harvest. He says, it's amazing. He says, a guy who's treading on grapes, who's he's just harvesting, he's making wine, is throwing seeds on the ground and planting, planting and harvesting, planting and harvesting. That's what the church does. And we do it as quickly and as much as we can. And when God blesses, we plant and harvest at the same time. Put the seed out for people to believe in God and harvest at the same time, drawing people into the kingdom. He said, that's what's going to happen. He says, it's going to be such a fertile ground that God is going to make for the church that they can plant harvest at the same time. He said, it's going to come from everywhere. Mountains shall drop, sweet wine, and all hills shall melt. Or that is, it's going to flow in. And what's that flowing in? This is the Spirit, right? Spirit of the Lord flowing in. And I I always say that be careful because I can't keep up with the Spirit. He's way ahead of me all the time. He's always ahead of me. It comes, some family comes into church. Well, we've been listening to you online, and now we're here. How do I know? I don't know nothing about them, how they got here or anything. God did. He was out there doing it, and he brought them in. And there's people walking in now lately. They're all over the place. Where did they come from? I don't even know. God brought them in. And so he's making the harvest and, and the sowing all together. It's good. It's good land. Good harvest. We, we live in a wonderful time. Verse 14, I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel. They shall build away cities and inhabit them, plant vineyards, drink the wine thereof, shall also make gardens, eat of the fruit of them. I will plant them upon their land. They shall no more be pulled out of their land, which I have given unto them, saith the Lord thy God. All right? And so, including, as most prophets do, looking at two mountaintops, all right, he sees a day when they come back to the land, but he sees a wider thing on the next mountaintop. The church of Jesus Christ is filling up the place. So Amos uh, doesn't end in this hopeless thing, God saying, that's it, I'm done with you. He says, there are faithful few. There are those who God's watching, right? And God has his eyes on them, and there's coming a day when he'll bless them. So, Amos, he's a pretty thoughtful little farm boy, isn't he? He's got a lot to say, and thought-provoking things about the basket of fruit, which I think is a very contemporary theme. Thank you.